Welcome. You're listening to the Think Like an Entrepreneur podcast because it turns out there's no such thing as a struggling entrepreneur. There are only business owners still operating from an employee mindset. I'm your host, business coach Katherine Morrison. Now let's dig in. Hey everybody, how's it going? I'm going to talk about a thought that a lot of my clients' brains offer them sometimes. And it's this. Maybe you're just not cut out for this entrepreneurship thing. And my goal for today's podcast is to kill that thought, to obliterate it, to put it to rest once and for all. Because here's what I see happen if it doesn't. If a person deep down has a belief that they're just not cut out for entrepreneurship, but then they're constantly trying to take action and grow the business to prove that thought to be untrue, what ends up happening is that their brain will continue searching for evidence of the thought that they aren't cut out for it the entire time. So they'll be writing marketing while their brain is telling them this entrepreneurship thing just isn't for them. They'll be going out to network and meet people while their brain is telling them they're an imposter and a fraud. Their head will hit the pillow at night and spin in worry and trying to make action plans to grow the business so that they don't have to believe that thought anymore, not realizing that it's that foundational belief that is the reason why their business isn't taking off. It's the reason why they're sheepish and reserved at networking events and nobody ends up following up to work with them. It's the reason why their marketing and sales have no fire and confidence in them so they're not converting. People have it super backwards that try to take action out of disbelief. I mean, yeah, it is possible to grow a business this way, to grow into being an entrepreneur this way, but it's the difference between driving your car with one foot pressed super hard on the brake and taking your car full speed out onto the Autobahn. And driving the car telling yourself that you're not cut out for it puts your foot on the brake so hard and it feels terrible. Seriously, how awful does it feel to deep down in your soul know that you're meant to have a business, that you feel that there's this larger mission that serves humanity that you feel really called to bring forward, and to then tell yourself that it's not possible for you because you aren't cut out for it. It's fucking self-abuse, and it has to stop today. So here's how to know whether or not you are meant to be an entrepreneur. Are you ready? Answer this question. Do you want to run a business? That's it. It really is that simple. If you want to run a business, you are an entrepreneur. Case closed. And the analogy I like to use here is that of horses and zebras. Horses and zebras are both wild animals. They weren't born to live in captivity, but some animals inherently have temperaments that make them easily domesticated. And so humans domesticated horses. And a couple hundred years ago, before we had the car and the tractor and hell, even war tanks, having domesticated horses really helped advance our society. They helped farmers till fields so much faster than they could have on their own. They pulled people in carriages wherever the carriage driver wanted them to go. They made up the cavalry, which back, back before we had tanks, this was a big deal in war. If you had an army of people on horses versus an army only on foot, 
And so horses were a big deal. They were very important to advance our society. Horses exchanged their time and energy to advance someone else's mission. And in exchange, they received basic resources, food and shelter. And then there are zebras. Did you know that humans have tried to domesticate zebras multiple times throughout history? You can read all about it on the internet. In the late 19th and 20th century, there was this actually a big movement to try to domesticate zebras, to try to tame them. And guess what? There's a reason why you don't see zebras pulling carriages. There's a reason you've never even seen it as a fun, whimsical side act at the zoo. It's because zebras are too wild. They cannot be broken. And lots of people have tried, some of them for decades to no avail. And people who want to run their own business, like it's imprinted deep in their soul, those people are fucking zebras. But our society is not set up for zebras. Our society is set up for horses. Think back to your first 22 years of life. You go through a school system and learn to regurgitate information. You learn that you get the gold star, the A+, the praise and acceptance from the teacher when you obey someone else and give them the one right answer. And then you're taught that after high school, you need to go to college and get good grades so that you can get a good job. And by the time you get to college, you've been so strongly socially conditioned that the A+, the gold star, the praise and accomplishments come from obeying the teacher that you don't even need your parents anymore, like they're cajoling you to do your homework, right? And then you're taught to look for just the right internships so it will look just right to employers. I love the way Julie Lithcott-Hames talks about this. She was, uh, she wrote the book, How to Be an Adult, and she was the dean of freshmen and undergraduate advising at Stanford over, I don't even know if it was like a decade or two decades, like a pretty long period that she oversaw cohorts of kids coming in through Stanford. And I heard her speak at the Texas Conference for Women a few years ago about her time there. And she spoke about how each year the freshmen came in with more and more perfect applications, with more and more credentials, with just the right volunteer experience, with just like they'd been trimmed, like these perfect little bonsai trees. But these kids also had higher and higher rates of depression, of anxiety, because their entire life had just become this performative act. They'd performed their way into one of the best universities in America. And those that didn't break out of that performative mindset are now still performing dead inside, probably working as management consultants or investment bankers or whatever job they noticed seemed most impressive to their parents and their peer set because they just learned very early on. They, they learned my worthiness is based on my accomplishments and they haven't investigated that belief system and thinking. So that's what happens, or that's what can happen rather, to kids that are deemed smart early on. If you're taught when you're little that your worthiness is based on what grade you get and you have a fixed mindset and getting the right grade involves there being one single right answer, then you become very risk averse, very failure averse. You don't want to ever put yourself in situations where you could fail because then you would believe your worthiness. You know, if you believe your worthiness is based on being smart, and then you could fail, you don't ever want to make a mistake because then what your brain would make it mean is that you're not worthy and lovable anymore. 
This is how a brain with a fixed mindset, like a very black and white mindset, processes life. It spends time trying to avoid failure and mitigate risk. And then there are the kids who went through the school system and weren't deemed the smart kids. They got put into the lower classes, and if they had a fixed mindset, that becomes part of their identity. And maybe their guidance counselor tells them that the best they should try for is community college, or maybe they're encouraged to go into a vocational program. And so they learn not to expect much from themselves, and they settle into a job and never ask for raises because they believe they aren't worth it. But none of these are the individual's thoughts, whether it's the Stanford management consultant or the front desk person making $9.75 an hour at 47 years old. They're just the thoughts of the systems that they were put through that they then learned to take on within their own mind, in their own fixed mindset. And now they have become their own oppressors. So when you tell yourself that maybe you aren't cut out for entrepreneurship, I want you to think about this. I want you to ask yourself what you learned growing up that has now just become the voice of your internal manager, which is basically you oppressing yourself. Because if you want to run your own business, if you feel that deep down for the time and financial freedom that you know is possible for you, this is the thing you deeply want. That is the only marker you need to have to know that you are 100% cut out to be an entrepreneur. You just happen to be a zebra that spent the first 22 years of your life going through a system that was training you to be a horse. And if you feel not super jazzed about pulling somebody else's carriage to the destination that they decided, it's not because you're a bad horse. It's because you're a fucking zebra that went through decades of preparing and training to be a horse. And I seriously think of my mastermind like a rehabilitation center for zebras who are making their way back into the wild. Because, you know, that's the thing, right? Like when an animal at the zoo is put back into the wild, they don't just drop it back into the jungle. There's an entire process to acclimate the animal to living on its own in the wild. But what so many employees do is they start a business and they don't reprogram their brain. So if they were a smart kid, they keep their perfectionism and spend so much time making every single decision. Like... The first six months is like, I'm doing market research. Can someone, I'm, they like post in Facebook groups. They're like, I'd, I'd like to do informational interviews with like this type of person. Like they, they look at like what big corporations do and they try to replicate that. They've got to have like the perfect website and every other thing. They tweak their Instagram tagline all the time. And they have like dozens of drafts of potential marketing ideas that they never post. And then if they hear some podcasts about the importance of massive action and entrepreneurship, they start forcing themselves to post and to take action, but then they actually never dissolve the underlying disbelief and all of the perfectionism. So they're driving with one foot lightly on the gas and the other one pressed super hard on the brakes. Or the employee who learned to identify themselves as nothing special because they weren't the golden child in the school system. And then they start a business, but basically expect for it to never take off because they tell themselves they aren't really that good at anything. And so even though the mindset is very different, the similarity is that it is a fixed mindset that was basically imprinted on them when they were little that hasn't been reprogrammed. Both of these people are spending time telling themselves that they aren't cut out for entrepreneurship, 
when deep down they are entrepreneurs in their bones, but their brain is just fucking filled with a whole lot of uninvestigated thoughts and beliefs that depending on their level of self-awareness, they might not even realize they have power over changing. And I'm getting a little fired up here because you guys, I am scaling to a million dollar business in the next few years. And do you know what I used to tell my husband I wanted to be? An overpaid pencil pusher. Literally. I literally used to tell him that. I hated being an employee, but I never even considered entrepreneurship because I believed that running your own business had to require hustle and grind and working crazy hours and no sleep and burning yourself out. And then I also believed that the nine to five was safer and that I wasn't a good mom if I didn't have a job that was fairly flexible. And because I was just walking around in my life, not even questioning those beliefs, I wasn't even trying to do anything differently. I thought given the choices of hustle and burnout and not seeing my kids and having a middle management job that I didn't really like, but that let me leave early and I could go get my nails done on my lunch break, that I would pick the latter. But I was giving myself completely, totally false, made up choices just based on the bullshit belief systems I was rattling around in my head the social constructs and belief systems that I just had not even bothered investigating. And when I talk about the value of coaching, I am not exaggerating when I say that the money I have paid to have my brain coached is the best money I have ever spent. More valuable by far than my university education more valuable than my car, more valuable than all of the beautiful furniture or whatever else, right, that we could even talk about. Because getting coached gave me what nothing else ever has, my own personal liberation, my ability to live back in the wild on my own terms, to make more money than I ever did in my six-figure job as an employee, and have so much more time with my kids, so much more freedom with my kids. And the two biggest qualities that I have surrendered to within myself that I see my clients on the path of every single day in this transition is resilience and resourcefulness. Your success is going to be built on a gigantic pile of failures. If your failure pile is not super high, you are living chronically below your potential. I'm reading the book, The Originals, right now, and in it, he talks about the research of this guy, Dan Simonton, who studied creative geniuses like Picasso and Beethoven. And he found that creative geniuses actually aren't qualitatively better in their fields than their peers. They simply produce a higher volume of work. Simonton notes, the odds of producing an influential or successful idea are a positive function of the total number of ideas generated. And it talks, it goes through like, you know, Beethoven, Picasso, I think Picasso, I don't know, it was like thousands of paintings. But when you look at the number that are like widely acclaimed, it is a very, very small fraction. They were just prolific in their work. And it is your mindset that will determine if the faucet is on or off with the ideas that you generate And then let's be real, having an idea doesn't mean anything if you don't actually then birth it into the world, right? And your mindset will determine if you have a marketing idea and post it, right? If you birth it into the world, or if you have a marketing idea and then that employee mindset comes in and you question it and you second guess it and you doubt it. And if you wonder if it just won't be the right thing and you get halfway through a draft and then leave it entirely, 
And the great news is your mindset can change. You have neuroplasticity in your brain for a reason. So you can get coached from being totally employee mindset, one right answer, failure fragile, into being an entrepreneurial creative genius that produces a high volume of work. If you want a thriving business and you feel afraid of failure, it's not because you're not cut out for entrepreneurship. It's because you spent decades going through a system training to be a horse when you're a zebra. And then the other quality that I see, and so many people as they make this transition from being an employee to being an entrepreneur, is resourcefulness. You guys have heard me talk about this. I talked a lot about this actually on my podcast about my dad. And if you haven't listened to that, it's a sweet one. It was actually a few months ago. So if you're new to me, you might not have listened to it. I think it was white collar strategy, blue collar grit. You can go back and take a listen. And it's also that quality of resourcefulness. It's the quality that I see my most successful clients have, which let's be real. If we are following the linear path of an employee, there is literally a playbook. It doesn't involve being resourceful. As an employee, you're taught to manage finite resources. Like I want you to really think about if you have you know, looked into financial planning or worked with people in this world, it's like, yeah, you know, skip lattes at Starbucks and guacamole at Chipotle. And this is literally widely distributed financial advice and it makes my head want to fucking explode. I'm a little fiery today, guys, because the belief is that you should learn to live smaller. The belief is that there are limited resources and the best you can hope for is to do a good job of stretching your budget. Even for me, I remember as a six-figure employee that hated her job before I even considered entrepreneurship because I thought that that equated hustle and grind and working crazy hours and not being able to be a good mom. So I wasn't looking at it. So I was like, well, what else can I do so that I don't have to be an employee anymore? And I just started severely reducing our spending. I was like, all right, I'll just like manage our finite resources. And so it's worth noting that entrepreneurs are extremely resourceful, but within a mindset of abundance, not a mindset of scarcity. And I think that's important because sort of the next left turn I took when I was an employee before I came into entrepreneurship, um, I took a stop into a... It's going to sound weird. I'm going to be like, it's a subculture, but I think for some people, and it's interesting because some clients have come to me and it turns out that they were also part of this movement, but they didn't know that that was my background as well. So I do think that a lot of people who are unhappy employees before they come into entrepreneurship might take a pit stop into the fire movement. Um, And so it stands for financial independence, retire early. And the premise of that movement is basically that in order for you to retire early, you should learn to manage limited finite resources. Like there are literally entire blogs and conferences and books and retreats where you are taught to buy apples instead of berries because over time it saves you a lot of money. And there's also like this big strategy that's taught of like credit card hacking. So you're taught to like sign up for a bunch of random credit cards to get the credit card sign up bonus and then to try to aggregate all the points together to travel. 
And although I hated my job as an employee, when I came into the FIRE movement, I was like, there has got to be a better way. Like I want, I actually loved working. I do love working and I loved providing value into the world. So I didn't want to spend my time trying to like figure out how to get credit card bonuses. I wanted to figure out like, how can I create more value in the world? How can I advance humanity? Like, yes, I was seeing lots of people retiring early, but they were never allowing themselves to buy strawberries. And so this particular subculture, they had totally cultivated their ability to be resourceful, but it was from an underpinning belief of scarcity of resources. But what I will say I did learn from being in that world for a year or two was how resourceful I was capable of being so much more capable than the standard employee playbook of managing my money I had learned from traditional financial planners. And then moving into entrepreneurship, you have to recognize that there's a reason why some people have not a lot of resources and some people, namely entrepreneurs or families who have inherited money from their parents being entrepreneurs, have lots of houses and billions of dollars. And I want you to just really watch if the thought that you had there was like, well, it's because they're assholes and they're evil. (laughs) Because that could be a whole nother podcast, but there are billionaires who are terrible people and there's also billionaires that are amazing people. There are poor people that are terrible people and there are poor people that are amazing people. So just, I want you to like notice if when I talked about people having billions of dollars, your thought was something else. And it turns out the scarcity of money is literally just an optional belief. And that doesn't mean there's not systemic inequality that we want to change. But you guys, how do you think systems of inequality were built? They didn't just always exist. They were built by someone's thoughts. And if someone's thoughts and belief systems were what created systems of inequality in the first place, then it will be the thoughts and belief systems of others that create equality. With women believing that they are capable of having and earning tons of money. With men and women believing that they are capable of having and earning tons of money while doing what they love, while living in deep integrity with themselves and operating by high moral standards. And it all starts with you disentangling all the thoughts, all the beliefs you took on from decades of training to be a horse. The first step today is to strike the thought that maybe you aren't cut out for entrepreneurship out of your brain. It is fucking poison. You are just a zebra with a whole lot of horse thoughts. Get coached, get them out of your head. And when they're out of your head, you can live from your heart that knows you are made for this. I love you all so much, and I will talk to you next week. If you are loving what you are hearing and you are ready to take the work deeper, there are currently two ways to work with me. The first is within the Think Like an Entrepreneur Mastermind, designed for new entrepreneurs who have created their first $10,000 but are ready to scale into full-time entrepreneurship. The next round will enroll in February of 2021 and will begin in June of 2021. The second is within private coaching with me, which is designed for established entrepreneurs who are now full-time in their businesses and ready to scale into six or multiple six figures in the coming year. So 
depending on where you are at and your current needs. I got you. You can learn more about both and apply to work with me on my website at www.katherinemorrisoncoaching.com. I'll see you there. Thank you.